0: Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast, and here's the Queen herself, Registered Dietitian Heather Klug.
1: Don't exercise before bed. Don't look at screens for at least two hours before sleep. You can catch up on lost sleep over the weekend. If you've heard these suggestions for better sleep, but always wondered if they're really true. You're going to want to stick around because today we're going to bust 10 sleep myths, including the ones I just mentioned. I'm Heather Klug. And I'm Bethany Debru adams And we're from the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center. Let's snuggle up and talk sleep.
0: Ah, yes. Sleep is one of those aspects of heart health that I don't think we think about really all that often. And in fact, it's actually an important component of overall health, but we don't give it the respect it deserves. It's one of those things that we don't appreciate it until we can't do it. Or we have several nights in a row where we don't get enough sleep, and then we're exhausted and cranky, and we miss it, and we want it back. Oh, I've never felt that bad. <laughs> I know. You've never come into work cranky and tired. Neither have I. You know, the fact is, and we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, that quality sleep is super important. Mm -hmm. Studies show that short sleep duration or poor sleep quality is associated with high blood pressure, higher cholesterol levels, and atherosclerosis,
1: what is commonly called hardening of the arteries. Oh, yes. We've talked about that many times. Mm -hmm. Poor sleep can also lead to weight gain, developing type 2 diabetes, general inflammation, and increased risk of cardiovascular events like heart attack and stroke. But according to the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, between 50 and 70 million American adults either don't get any sleep on a regular basis or have a sleep disorder. That's a lot of sleepy people out there. Yeah, it sure is. So this is a
0: good place to start our myth-busting mission today because there are a lot of myths out there that have to do with the amount of sleep that adults really need. I think you and I have talked about this because you like to believe that you don't need as much as you probably do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think as humans, our nature is to rationalize our lack of sleep. Proper sleep takes up a good chunk of the night. And a lot of us would prefer to make other use of that time. Isn't that right, Heather?
1: Um, um, who are you talking Now, what can I say? I just know that there's always more interesting ways to spend my time than totally asleep. Well, that brings me to myth number one, and that is most adults
0: need five or fewer hours of sleep. This goes along with the idea that adults need less sleep as they age. Wait, that's not true? It's not. Hmm. Even though elderly folks tend to get up really early, it's usually because they also go to bed early. Makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They require the same amount of sleep that any other adult does. And that amount of sleep is between seven and nine hours a night, not
1: five. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do have to say, I don't, I've never thought you should get less than five. I know okay. we need more than five. Right. I'm not in that category, even though I may not always get the seven to nine, but. Yeah. I know getting less than five hours of sleep is not good. I know I can barely function on anything
0: less than seven hours of sleep. And I remember (laughs) my husband used to work as a machinist and he had convinced himself that he only needed five hours of sleep a night. And then when he got a job where he was working like eight to five, he was like, holy cow, I feel so refreshed. Yeah. I'm sleeping like normal hours and it's kind of amazing. In fact, only one in four million people possess a genetic mutation that allows them to naturally sleep for shorter periods and still wake up refreshed.
1: So that's not a lot of those people. (laughs) Yeah. Now that's a mutation that would be really handy to have. Right. Think of all the stuff I could get done. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Wish I had that mutation. So there's no way I can train myself to do that. Well, it's funny you should ask because that's the topic of myth number two. Your
0: body can get used to getting less sleep. So you're going to be pleased to know that in some ways we can adjust to ongoing sleep loss. Researchers have done studies in which they ask sleep-deprived people to rate their mood, sleepiness, and pain tolerance. and these individuals report improvements to their score the
1: longer they go without sleep. That sounds promising, but I feel that there's a but coming.
0: We've been doing this far too long because you know that there's (laughs) always a but coming, and the but here is that more serious side effects may be masked. So remember a few minutes ago when we were talking about how poor sleep and chronic lack of sleep can cause things like high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes. Well, it's also thought to cause elevated stress hormone levels and mood disorders, which Mm -hmm. we know can impact your heart health as well. And interestingly, early research suggests that chronic sleep deprivation may lead to lasting changes in the brain that affect attention and
1: vigilance. Well, that's not good. No. So if your body doesn't necessarily adjust to a lack of sleep, what about making up for lost sleep? I know I've spent a few Saturdays sleeping in or almost every Saturday, (laughs) especially when I've had a few nights during the week when I didn't sleep well. Well, myth number three deals directly with that one.
0: And the myth is it's possible to catch up on missed sleep. So Heather, you clearly feel that this myth is actually true and you're partially correct. Researchers agree that it's probably possible to make up for a single night of missed sleep by sleeping in the next day. But the problem comes when you've accumulated multiple nights of missed sleep. So all of us, and I include myself in here who aren't perfect sleepers, accumulate something known as sleep debt. So every hour of sleep that you miss gets added on to your sleep debt. And studies have shown that it can actually take multiple nights to make up for one
1: hour of missed sleep. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. I think I'm in trouble. (laughs) That's all I have to say. I probably have a pretty big sleep debt, unfortunately. It also sounds like one of those shady loan places, right? You borrow Mm -hmm. that one hour of sleep to make up for the one hour of sleep you're short, (laughs) but the interest may be an extra 10 minutes, and it means you haven't fully paid off that loan.
0: Right. There's always something more you owe.
1: Yeah. Pretty soon you're deep in sleep debt. Mm Mm-hmm. I can see, too, that if you miss three days of good sleep, that you might not be able to make up for all of it in a two-day weekend. Mm -hmm. Or you think you can by sleeping really late on Sunday morning, but then Sunday night you aren't tired enough to fall asleep, (laughs) so you miss more sleep, and the vicious cycle starts all over again. Been there. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so... Does this mean that if I were to take a week or a month off and spend the bulk of my time sleeping, I would actually eliminate my sleep debt? Well, you pose a very interesting
0: question, my friend, Heather. (laughs) And myth number four is sleep quantity
1: is more important than sleep quality. Hmm. I have a feeling that myth is going to be busted because more often than not, quality is more important than quantity. You are exactly right, and you are right for
0: exactly that reason. When we talk about sleep quality, it means sleep that leads you to feel well-rested. If you're not getting quality sleep, you're more likely to wake up tired and grumpy or unrefreshed. I think we've all had those mornings. Mm -hmm. When researchers are measuring quality, they look to specific metrics, like how long it takes to fall asleep, how many times you wake up during the night total time spent awake in bed time spent in each sleep stage. So if you're sleeping for hours and hours, you know, like, uh, like you would for eight hours a night or whatever, and yet you still wake up feeling cranky and unrefreshed, you're not reaping the benefits of quantity sleep or quality sleep.
1: Right? That makes sense. I actually have one of those sleep number beds, Bethany. So it tells me those kind of things. It tells me how long it takes to fall asleep and how many times I wake up. It is actually very fascinating.
0: I had like a sleep app on my Fitbit years ago. And I would think that I didn't sleep very well. And then I'd look at my Fitbit information and it would say that I slept well, like solidly. Okay. And I would feel more rested after
1: I saw that. Like, oh, oh, maybe I'm not as tired as I think (laughs) I am. Kind of psychological, huh? A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What if I have trouble falling asleep at night? So I just take a nap in the afternoon and get the same amount of sleep, but Mm -hmm. at different times. So, yeah, I'm going to find you under your desk someday taking a nap some afternoon. I wish. (laughs) Right?
0: So you mean sleep myth number five. It doesn't matter when you sleep as long as you sleep enough hours. Well, I hate to burst your napping plan, but you Mm. knew I was going to. Yeah. But the timing of sleep actually does matter. And it's best to sleep as much as possible during hours of darkness. And this coincides with your body's natural sleep-wake cycle, which we've talked about in the past, known as your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Our bodies were actually designed to be awake and moving around (laughs) during daylight hours and then asleep during darkness. And thanks to a study that just came out last month, scientists have actually pointed out the best bedtime to keep our hearts healthy too. Any guesses as to when that is?
1: I have a hunch it's way earlier than I want it to be. (laughs) Probably.
0: (laughs) The study found that between 10 and 11 p.m. is the so-called golden hour to fall asleep.
1: Ooh. Yeah.
0: So kind of early, I think, maybe.
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems early to me just because I go to bed later, but that does make sense to me based on what I know about the circadian rhythm and all those different hormones that go along with it. So, Okay. mm -hmm. Well, the study actually involved 88,000 people between the
0: ages of 43 and 79 who collected data on their bedtime and wake time for seven days using something called an accelerometer. They also completed lifestyle, demographic, health, and physical assessments. And then researchers followed these folks for 5.7 years, and found that 3% of the study subjects eventually developed cardiovascular disease. The incidence was higher in those whose sleep times came at midnight or later, and the incidence was least in those who fell asleep in that golden hour of 10 to 11 p.m. And this is probably not gonna surprise you, but like so much else, the risk was higher in women than in men.
1: Naturally. Right. (laughs) Well, since we now have an official bedtime for better heart health, 10 to 11 p.m., everybody, Mm -hmm. we should probably discuss some of the myths around actually falling asleep. Okay. Now, I don't have a hard time falling asleep, but that's because, yeah, but that's because I stay up later and I wait until (laughs) I'm super, super tired and then I can just fall asleep pretty quickly. Okay. Which which I know is not good.
0: Okay, we're going to get to that and because my husband is somebody who can fall asleep like at the drop of a hat. And I've always been jealous of people who could do that because I'm a lay in bed for at least 15, 20 minutes, maybe mm. longer before I fall asleep. But we shouldn't get too jealous. I shouldn't get too jealous. You shouldn't be too proud of being able to just drop off to sleep because <laughs> myth number six is the ability to fall asleep anywhere, anytime means you're a good sleeper.
1: I can see how that's not a good thing. I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's more a sign that you aren't getting enough sleep and you're so tired and you can just pass out then.
0: You sound like a woman who's experienced this yes. before.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So this could also be a sign that you have a condition like sleep apnea where you aren't getting a full night of uninterrupted sleep. You're having those like micro wakes mm-hmm. and it's leaving you tired. In which case, if this is happening to you, you may want to mention it to your healthcare provider because they might advise you to have a sleep study done to find out if you're experiencing sleep apnea or a different kind of sleep problem and they can fix that. You also want to have a regular sleep schedule, which I know I've hammered home a lot (laughs) on our prior sleep podcast so that you don't just fall asleep wherever, whenever.
1: I have a myth along this line to bust, and that is myth number seven. Alcohol before bed will help you sleep. Okay. We mentioned this before in previous podcasts, but even though alcohol is a depressant and a nightcap may help you fall asleep faster, you will pay for it later (laughs) in the night. It's interesting to me that alcohol may appear to improve sleep quality, By delaying the first REM sleep episode, that's the one where you typically dream, Mm -hmm. and increasing the proportion of restorative slow-wave sleep. But in the second half of the night, you will likely wake up more often and have overall lighter sleep. Alcohol also reduces the total amount of REM sleep people have and can worsen snoring and sleep apnea episodes. So overall, avoid alcohol right before bed. Solid advice. Yes. So
0: I'm excited to tackle this next myth because I think most everybody out there have heard it and have taken it to heart, including myself. And that's myth number eight exercising at night disturbs sleep. Guess what? Not necessarily true. Really? That kind of surprises me. Well, believe it or not, data from surveys and from research indicates that even vigorous exercise at night doesn't usually affect sleep and actually can help many people sleep better. Now, with that said, you might want to hold off on doing extremely intense workouts like right before you go to bed because yeah. that can make it harder for you to relax and settle down for the night. I'm sure like you don't want to do a particularly intense Hit routine or whatever. Right, right. So, but feel free to experiment with this one and see if it actually does impact you. You might
1: have a whole new time to do your exercise regimen. Uh-huh, yes. And how about myth number nine? Blue light is particularly disruptive to sleep. I know this one is true because we hear about it all the time. Actually, what? Are you kidding me? This one isn't true either.
0: So before you get all excited to scroll your phone endlessly before bed, this one has a bit of a caveat. A 2019 UK study conducted on mice exposed them to lights that were different in hue but equal in brightness, and then it assessed their subsequent activity. The mice's activity, I should say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Researchers concluded that yellow light actually seems to disturb sleep more than blue, Warm-toned light, they hypothesized, could trick the body into thinking that it's daytime while blue light more closely mimics twilight. Whoa, that's really interesting. I know, right? It should be mentioned, though, that because this was an animal study, we should take it with a grain of salt because, you know, animals are different than people.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: one of the best quotes I read about this study was from a scientist whose name escapes me, but he said... Blue light has become the gluten of the sleep world. Yeah. And he means (laughs) that basically blue light may be a potential trigger for health issues, but its impact has been blown way out of proportion in most cases. In fact, most human research done in this field hasn't been representative of the way the average person is exposed to blue light. Most experimental conditions actually don't correspond to the average person's day. And even then, they often result in only tiny changes
1: of sleep. I think we want to kind of demonize the devices as much as possible. Yeah. You know, now that you're mentioning that... I actually just came across something. I don't remember if it was from a podcast or an article I read, but it was talking about, I mean, you're kind of right about the blue light being the gluten of the sleep world Mm
0: -hmm. because those
1: blue blocker glasses have become so popular. Mm -hmm. And people think they need to wear those like all the time when they're looking (laughs) at a computer or a screen. And Mm -hmm. the thing I read or heard about was that you don't wear the blue blockers during the day. You wear them at night after the sun goes down. Because if you wear them during the day, it's signaling to your body that it needs to start producing like melatonin and it needs to start shutting down. Uh, And you don't want that during the day when you're reading stuff. (laughs) But at night, that is when it seems to be more effective. I don't know. That's just something I came across there. So don't use those blue blockers during the day, but maybe consider them, you know, those few hours before bed. I still think there's slightly some truth there. I think it's true with my phone because TV, I can fall asleep
0: watching TV, no problem. But if I'm reading my phone or looking at my phone, that keeps me agitated longer once I shut it off.
1: Oh, okay. So
0: maybe it's something to do with that. Who knows?
1: Or it could be what you're reading. (laughs) (laughs) That too. (laughs) And now you can get your phones to, you know, you can change it so that it uses Mm -hmm. like a different light level. I'm guessing it blocks the blue light a little bit more. But anyway, Mm -hmm. let's move on to myth number 10. So myth number 10 could be sleeping with a light on is harmless, considering that it doesn't seem to matter much what color that light is, but more the fact that one is on.
0: That's an excellent point. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the one about sleeping when it's dark as opposed to when it's light. Mm -hmm. Even when you're in bed with your eyes closed, you're still filtering some light through your eyelids. And that low light can increase the risk of waking up multiple times through the night, and it may
1: have negative effects on your circadian rhythm. This one is especially important for people working third shift Mm -hmm. who have to sleep during the day. Getting blackout curtains or a really good eye mask can help a lot when it comes down to cutting down on light. Yes, that's excellent advice. It's always interesting to find out when conventional wisdom may not always be correct, isn't it? (laughs) It is. But one of these days, I want you to tell me that scientists have discovered that watching TV till midnight is actually super beneficial to my health. (laughs)
0: Well, that'll probably happen the same day that you tell me that scientists are now recommending I eat two donuts each day to keep my heart healthy. (laughs) Well, fair
1: enough. (laughs) All right. Well, we hope today's discussion helps you start sleeping easier. Do you have sleep myths you want us to debunk? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel. Like what you're hearing? Leave us a review on whatever platform you listen on, and be sure to share us in your social media and with your family and friends. Thanks for listening today, everyone. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, info, recipes, and more, visit our website at www.karenyancecenter.org, like us on Facebook at Karen Yance Center, and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our show and be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, ladies, be ruler of your own heart.